Tonight is going to feel a little bit different than our normal liturgy, our normal flow of service. If you're a frequent flyer with us here in Orangefield, we, we normally in the evenings have a, a time of sung worship and then a time of teaching and a time of response. Tonight we're going to be looking at a prayer that is called the Lord's Prayer, the family prayer, the disciples' prayer. It gets different names. And it's a prayer that if you've been around church for a while, it is probably embedded in your bones. You could say it back to front and oh, oh, everything. So tonight, we're going to walk through that prayer a little bit differently. And as we start, I want to ask a question. Do you pray? Now, that might sound like a really obvious question, but I want to give you the chance to be really honest just with yourself, between yourself and God, do you pray? And if you say no to that, then tonight's an invitation to try praying. And if you say yes to that, well, let me bring you into another question. Whereabouts do you find it easiest to pray? When in the day, whereabouts, in your home or out and about, where do you find it easiest to pray? When you pray, does your mind ever wander? Do you find yourself having to come back into prayer? When you're praying, do you ever wonder what to pray for? I wonder how courageous you are with your prayers. Do you play it safe? God bless everyone, everywhere, all of the time. We do pray like that sometimes, don't we? Or do you pray specifically? With courage, with boldness, with anticipation, with expectation. When you pray, is it all about you talking? Or do you ever experience God's reaching out to you, engaging with you, communicating with you. And my final question, I wonder, have you ever seen any of your prayers answered? Jesus had this um, amazing interaction, this amazing prayer life with God. He had this intimacy in his relationship with God that, that, that has been unparalleled ever since. This, he just seemed to exist with this two-way conversation with God that flowed all of the time. It didn't matter whether he was doing it for a moment in the middle of his day or staying up all night in prayer or withdrawing to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to pray. He just had this amazing prayer life. When he spent time with God in prayer, he came away renewed and strengthened and, and knowing what to pray for. And often, not always, but often his prayers were answered with yes. And the disciples, who were Jesus' friends, they would spend time with Jesus, and they, over weeks, months, even maybe a couple of years, watched him pray, and, and they thought, we've never seen anybody pray like Jesus prays. And, and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray like you pray. 
And this is where it gets interesting because Jesus didn't say to them, don't be silly. I'm the son of God. How could you possibly pray like I pray? He didn't say to them, don't be daft. You're only whatever. The disciples looked at Jesus praying and they said to him, teach us to pray like you pray. And Jesus said, okay. He said, okay. He said, when you pray, pray like this. And he gave them the Lord's prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, he gave them the Lord's prayer. And he said, this is not what to pray, but how to pray. This is a model for you to engage with Father God in. And then tonight, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 6. We're going to do that now. I know this is all a bit different in terms of flow than normal. But we want to start with this prayer. And we see the same words that Jesus taught his disciples when they asked him how to pray in Luke chapter 11. We see basically the same words in Matthew chapter 6. And what, what has happened here is the disciples have said to Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. And Jesus has said, okay. And he gives them this model of how to pray. And then at different times when the crowds gather around him, he teaches them to pray using the model that he used with his disciples to pray. And that's why when you look at Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6, there's slight differences in phraseology. That's because the context is different. Jesus is using this model to teach in different environments. This is how you pray. Does that make sense? So listen now for Jesus' own words. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Tonight, we're going to go on a journey through this model of prayer, and there'll be a bit of teaching. Of course, there will, um, because we, we want to open the Scriptures on this and, and teach on this, but we want to ask you to engage with it in the way that Jesus taught. So we're going to create space using music and silence and teaching for you to go on a prayerful journey and encounter with God through this model of prayer. And it starts with this beautiful phrase at the very start, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Some of you are going, that's not the way the prayer starts. That's because you're praying it in King James English. And you don't talk in King James English. So it, I do wonder why we pray in King James English. You can pray that way if you want. You're fine. I'm going to pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let me tell you a story. Uh, and in a moment, we're going to sing. When I was a kid, uh, we went on summer holidays to uh, Costa La Portrush. You've heard of it, yeah? Anybody caravan on holiday in Portrush as a kid? Did you go and be honest? It was great, wasn't it? I loved it. And as a kid going to Portrush, what is the thing you looked forward to the most? 
bang. Oh, it's like you're prophetic. It's amazing. Have you read my notes? <laughs> yeah, I used to love going to Barry's. And do you know what? I'm grown up now, mostly. And uh, my, my kids are nine and uh, eight and six. And they love going to Barry's. And I, I find a new joy as their dad bringing them to Barry's. It's amazing. But as a kid, this is my predominant memory of being in Barry's. My grandmother was there. My parents were there. I was there with my sister. And my predominant memory and you might judge me for this. I, I'm not sure whether this is gambling or not. But I was standing with my grandmother at the 2P machines where you put 2P in and it fell down and the machine came out and pushed it. And if you were blessed, because we don't believe in luck, if you <laughs> the 2P would fall down to the next level. and It's a game of skill. That's what I'm telling everybody. It's a game of skill. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Uh, and this is my predominant memory of being in Barry, standing with my grandmother who had this massive pot of two peas that she'd been saving up. She didn't believe you could change money when you got there. She saved the two peas up all year and, and just pumped them in. Um, and brilliant childhood memories. But I sometimes think we treat prayer a little bit like those two pea machines, where it can feel impersonal. It can feel random. It can feel like duty. It can feel like going through the motions, just popping them in, popping them in, popping them in. And I wonder, we don't do it intentionally, but I wonder sometimes when we gather as church and we pray in this building, sometimes when we are on our own at home doing what we call our quiet time with our Bible and praying and talking to God, I wonder sometimes have we settled for a framework of Christian belief rather than friendship with the living God. I wonder, have we settled for engaging with, with brilliant worship and slick services rather than an expectation of encounter with a God who is real and a God who is personal? I wonder, have we, have we settled for, for, for programs that, that entertain us rather than longing for presence? wonder for us is prayer simply about bringing our requests to make our life easier and better rather than about a relationship with the one who answers those prayers. Jesus says to us, when the disciples say, how do I pray? When Jesus is teaching us how to pray, Jesus says, God is not a thing. He's not an idea. He's not a concept. He's not a belief. He's not a, a foreign deity that lives miles away that doesn't engage and we can't know. He says, God is a father. God is a father. And he invites us to come to him. He invites us to know him. He invites us to talk and ask and listen and engage in a friendship with God and... He says, when you pray, remember this is conversational. When you pray, remember this is personal. When you pray, remember this is friendship with your Father in heaven. So as we come, 
I invite you to stand. We're going to spend some time singing and worshiping and praising because these opening words are tied around praise and worship. And Jesus says, when you come to God, come like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. How good is our Father God? How good is our Father God? The second thing that Jesus invites us to pray, or the second way he calls us to move in prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder where your head goes, where your heart goes when you hear those words or when you pray that prayer yourself. Um, When I was younger, I, I guess my head went to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, praying for Jesus to return. Yeah? Praying for that day when, when Christ will return and he will usher in a new reign of God, a new heaven and a new earth, and the old things will pass away. And we get that beautiful picture in Revelation 21 where there is no more sickness, no more sin, no more tears, no more sadness. And we pray this prayer. It's definitely about that. It's definitely about that. But as I grew in my faith, I realized that part of this was in my responsibility as well. And, and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, it brought me into a place of wondering about and praying about my own moral behavior, my own thought patterns. And um, I, I need to be be living as Jesus lived, acting in a way that put my sinful life behind me, yeah? Your will be done in my thinking, in my life, in my doing. And we get that. Of course we do. But over the past number of years, what I've realized is this prayer is about something more again. It's not not about those first two things, but it is about something more again. N.T. Wright, who you've heard quoted from this stage a number of, I'd love to get him to preach. Is that a possibility, Gary, do you think? Let's do that, okay. N.T. Wright is probably the number one New Testament scholar alive today. Um, let's see if Orangefield can get him. What do you think? He's phenomenal. He is absolutely, he works and lives over in Scotland. Uh, absolutely phenomenal guy. But he says in one of his commentaries about this part of the prayer, he says, he is the God who dwells in heaven and longs to see his sovereign and saving rule come to birth on earth. As we pray this prayer, what we're praying for is the reality of heaven, the reality of God's sovereign reign and rule to break through into moments and into seasons of our life and our experience of earth. Now, that's only ever going to be a glimpse. It's only ever going to be a moment until Jesus returns and brings the fullness of God's kingdom. But we get to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And when the gospel is proclaimed, and when the Holy Spirit is move, moves, and when people give their lives to Jesus, and when sin is forgiven, and when physical sickness is healed, and when marriages are restored, and when, when all of these amazing things happen, that is a glimpse of God's kingdom breaking in to our life in the present day. When I look at Jesus' life, when I look at the life of, of his disciples, what I see, and even for the generation that come after them that we see in the New Testament, what I see is that they not only long for God's kingdom to come in the way we've been talking about, their prayers and their lives seem to partner with God to release his kingdom. Where they are and where they pray, God seems to be moving. Have you seen that when you read through the New Testament? Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I don't think they prayed, prayed generic prayers. God, please bless everybody all of the time everywhere. And we fall into that trap ourselves. I don't see them praying those prayers. I see them praying specific prayers. I see them praying prayers that, that it's very clear whether God has answered with a yes or a no. I see them praying specific prayers that not always but often get answered with a yes. And I'm sure they prayed lots of other prayers that got answered with a not yet or, or a no, that's not right. But the ones we read about in the Bible, certainly they're praying and they pray in a way and God seems to answer those prayers. Prayers that seems somehow to be in line with God's sovereign will because God is sovereign in all things. He's in control. But their prayers seem to be in line with His sovereign will, and we see those prayers answered. And as I read through this book, and as I spend time lingering over these prayers, the conclusion that I come to is the only way they can do that is if the prayers they are praying are prayers that God has put onto their hearts to pray. If they have been listening for God and asking them how to pray, how, him how to pray, they're praying in line with His will. And then they see a move of God. Then they see those prayers answered. We've been saying this all year from this platform. Listening for God's voice and learning to listen for God's voice is the most important thing we're going to do this year as a church. When you pray and when you bring petition to God, when you ask God for things, there's a couple of ways you can do it. One of the ways is you can come and you say, God, please, will you move in this situation? Please, will you guide, please will you heal, please will you save, please will you. And we pray that way, don't we? Yeah? We pray that way. Of course we do. Um, and I think, I think God loves it when we pray that way, because God is a father who loves it when his children come to him and converse with him and bring their requests and their desires to him. He doesn't always say yes in the same way I don't always say yes to my children, but... 
He loves it when we come and ask for things. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. How much more does your heavenly Father love to give good gifts to those who ask? I think sometimes, though sometimes, some of us are scared to ask for things for ourselves. Some of us lack confidence. We think it's, it's rude, it's overstepping a line to pray for ourselves and ask God for things for ourselves. I don't see that filter in my children when they come to me. They let me discern that as their dad. God loves it when we come and ask for things. But there's another way to pray with this as well, and, and that is that you come to God and you say, God, this is horrendous. And he knows what it is, but you, 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 you talk to him about the situation and how you're feeling. You talk to him about, about the illness. You talk to him about the broken relationship. You talk to him about the problems in work, the problems with your kids. You talk to him about the difficulties you're having with that relationship with someone in church. You talk to him. He knows what it is, but, but he loves it when we talk to him, and you talk to him about it, and you don't tell him the answer. You don't tell him what you want to do. You say, God, what are you doing in the midst of all of this? What are you doing in the midst of all of this? And you watch and you listen and you be still and know that he is God. And you listen for how he asks you to pray. And then you pray in line with his will as he reveals it to you for that circumstance. It takes a huge amount of trust to do it. But I think that's what we see often amongst the disciples as they learn to pray this part of the prayer better. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do you hear God's voice? It's really simple. The main way, the primary way we hear God's voice is through Scripture. That's why you pray and you tell God what's going on in your heart and your life and how you're feeling. Then you open His Word and you read in a daily pattern, you read, we read our Bibles and we anticipate Him speaking to us through His Word. We come to church week after week, every week, not just the ones we fancy coming. And we listen to His Word being preached and then we shouldn't be surprised whenever you, people say to me, God, God it, felt, it, it, it felt like you were talking just to me. I'm not talking just to you. It's God taking His Word and speaking to you in that circumstance that you've asked him for help within. The other way we do it is, is we listen for his still, small voice. We quieten ourselves, we turn our phones off, and we say, God, please speak to me. And we listen for the, his Holy Spirit, his still, small voice. We pay attention to our thoughts in those moments. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes God will bring to mind a Bible passage. He'll bring your mind to a person or a picture or a thought. Maybe he puts a word in your mind. The Bible calls this words of knowledge. He puts a word in your mind that seems specific for that situation you're praying about. 
We've been modeling this in church. Um, every week we, we, we model listening to God through His Word as we preach it, and we encourage you to read it. Um, but we've been modeling listening for that still, small voice. Every Sunday when we gather, our prayer ministry team will, will spend time listening for God, saying, God, what do you want to do this morning, tonight in our service? And just listen. Not tell Him what to do. Just listen. And sometimes they, they don't hear anything or anything specific. Sometimes they do. And, and they'll come to myself or Gary or some of our elders will come to myself and Gary and say, I really feel that God wants to share this this morning or say this this morning. And then Gary and myself, because that's our calling, we'll discern whether it's right to share that in church. We did this last Sunday morning and, and for some people it was a real blessing. For some people they came away with questions about it. Um, and that's okay because we're all journeying this, and, and, and that's okay. Um, it's not a new thing. It happened during Ken's ministry at different times. It's not a new thing. It's not a new thing because it happened in the early church. Paul actually, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 14, talks about this right through the chapter. He says, when you gather as a church, when you gather to worship, and God gives someone a word or a tongue, Allow them space to bring it to the front and share it for a blessing over the body. Go away and read that chapter and explore this. Um, we, we, we do this because it's biblical. We do it because we want to help people encounter God, both corporately and individually. Because we believe that God is a God who speaks to us. We, we, we do it as well in here because we believe this is a safe place. This is a place where it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to get things wrong. And we, we do it in here because we believe that God wants to speak to you when you're out there during the week and ask you to bless people, ask you to love people, ask you to, to step out in faith and, be, and, and do something for somebody. Maybe offer to pray with them or talk to them about Jesus. And so we model it in here so you'll have a framework for doing it out there. And sometimes we're going to get that wrong, and sometimes we're going to get it right, and we ask that you're patient with us as we try to move towards what God is calling us into. And so we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we give you space now to be still before God, and that thing that is on your heart, that thing that is you're struggling with or you're wrestling with, I want to invite you just to bring it before God in silent prayer and then listen and pay attention to your thoughts and listen for God speaking to you. And we're going to take two or three minutes and do that just now. Some of you will have loved that quietness. Some of you will have found that quite difficult. Um, I guess what I want to say is, if Gary or I ever say anything from the front that you find really hard, um, come and speak to us afterwards. We, we, we'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, and, and also, if, if this idea of 
you get how prayer is talking to God, but this idea of experiencing God, communicating with you in different ways. Uh, if you're finding that hard to grasp or make sense of, or, or you think you've never experienced that, again, come and speak to us. We'd love to talk to you about that and, and help you in that, in that part of your journey. Um, so please, that door is open. That door is open. The next thing Jesus says is, is give us this day our daily bread. Um, when my daughter Karis was... Um, Oh, much younger, maybe, I don't know, four years old. She hadn't started primary school. I brought her to McDonald's one day. Don't judge me. Um, I, don't even, I don't know why I don't even like it. But I brought her to McDonald's one day, and I got her a Happy Meal, and she's sitting across the table, and, um, you know, I, I just inhaled my food. It's kind of what I do. Uh, and Karis was playing with her chips and moved, eating one and moving them around the place. And, and I said to her, Karis, can I have one of your chips? And this little four-year-old with pigtails, you know, absolutely gorgeous, leaned forward and looked at me and put one arm there and one arm there and said, no, they're mine. <laughs> We've been there, haven't we, with our kids? Um, why did I want, I'd already had my dinner. I wasn't even hungry. I didn't even enjoy my dinner. Um, but why did I want Karis to share her chips with me? Three reasons. First of all, perspective. How did Karis get the chips? They were her chips, but how did she get them? Her dad had given them to her, hadn't he? Her dad had given them to her. It's the first lesson Jesus wants us to learn in this part of the prayer. Everything we have is given to us. Every good thing in our lives comes from God, comes from heaven above. Every good thing. You've got a cracking job. Who give you the skills to get that and the drive to get there? You're blessed with a family. Who gave you that? You belong to a church. Who drew you into this church? and give you faith to make you want to stay. You're breathing tonight, guess what? There's another gift. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus wants us to see that every good thing we have is given to us by God. Every single thing, even our offering, even our money, that in a moment we're going to give back to God, He give it to us, you only think you earned it. He gives you the ability to earn that money. He gives you that money. I wanted Karis to share her chips with me for perspective. I wanted her to share her chips with me because of imitation. Why? I wanted her to see that I had given something to her. I had shared something of mine with her, and I wanted her to learn that value, that skill that is so much part of my identity. As a father, I think generosity is, is really important, and I want my kids to grow up and be generous people. Yeah? How much easier is that when you realize that what you have isn't actually yours, but it's only given to you by God, lent to you by God? Give us this day our daily bread actually invites us to practice generosity and to become more and more like our heavenly Father.
But here's the, here's the most important part. Perspective, imitation, encounter. Karis was sitting in this little world of her own with her chips, moving them around, playing with them, totally oblivious of me being there. And I said, Karis, can I have one of your chips? I didn't actually want a cold chip with McDonald's germs on it. I, I didn't. What did I want? I wanted her to invite me into her experience, into her imaginary play. I wanted to encounter her and her to encounter me in that moment. And when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And when we recognize that everything we have is given to us by God. And when we practice generosity and become more like God, what's actually happening in that experience is that we are meeting with God. Generosity provides a place of encounter. And prayer provides a place of encounter. We're going to invite you to have that experience now. Give us this day our daily bread. We're going to sing. We're going to bring our offering. And we're going to give you space to thank God for the things in your life that he has given you. we then come to the best and probably the hardest part of the prayer. Forgive us our sins or forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts, depending on how you pray it, depending on how you read it. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I love the fact that Jesus brings us to the cross every time we pray. If this is the model of how we pray, Jesus says we should never pray without coming to the cross. We should never go through a day without coming to the foot of the cross. And by putting this in the middle of this framework of prayer, Jesus is again and again and again calling us back to the foot of the cross. It's not just something you do the first time you get saved. or Well, the only time you get saved, let's be honest. He invites us to do it every single day. Why? Because he knows we mess up. He knows we, we think things we shouldn't think and we say things we shouldn't say and we keep our mouths quiet whenever we should speak and we speak whenever we shouldn't. We, we spend money on things we don't need and we, we don't spend money on the things that we should to help other people and a million other reasons how we mess up and we come to the cross. But there's something even deeper going on. He knows that our hearts are, are this web of complexity. He knows that, that it is our human tendency to linger in one of two places, depending on how we're wired, depending on how we're fallen. Either after we sin, we, we, we fall into a place of entitlement where we think, you know, that doesn't apply to me. I deserve that. I'm a, I earned that. That's mine. That person shouldn't have said that. I had the right to say that. Why should I help them? And our hearts linger in this place of entitlement or we, we linger in this place of shame. I will never be good enough. 
Can God really forgive me again? I can't even ask for forgiveness for that again. Look at your own heart for a second. Do you recognize one of those tendencies? Maybe you recognize both of them in different seasons. The reason Jesus calls us to the cross is not simply that we mess up and need to remember that we are forgiven. It's that we, we lie to ourselves and bring ourselves into a place where we don't allow ourselves to experience forgiveness. And Jesus says, every time you pray, you need to come to this place and remember that I have forgiven you. Forgiveness is the key to becoming a better human, and forgiveness is the key to a deeper walk with the Father. And every day, Jesus invites us to come and to kneel before the cross and to picture in our minds Him beaten, bloodied, spat upon, and mocked, stumbling through the streets of Jerusalem with the crossbar of the cross, breaking the skin on his shoulder, weighing him down, causing him to stumble and fall. The skin, the muscle, the tendons being separated as the nail pierces his hand, the the noise of the hammer as the nail is driven through flesh and bone into the woods, hanging, suffocating, breathing his last breath. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those moments at the end of Jesus' life on earth, as the Son of God became the sacrificial Lamb of the world and died for your sin and mine, an event in history that happened 2,000 years ago that has already happened, that guarantees your forgiveness, that no amount of messing up, no amount of entitlement, no amount of shame can rob you of because it's already happened. And he says, come and experience forgiveness and stop lingering in that place where you don't come to me and don't know my presence and don't know my touch and don't know my love. What we're going to do is take a moment of silence and bow our heads. In fact, if you want, you can kneel down. There might be room where you're sitting or you can move out. Don't worry what anybody else thinks. And we're going to kneel at the foot of the cross. And if we are Christians, we are going to remember that we are forgiven. No matter what this weekend, what this week has been like, we're going to remember that we are forgiven. We're going to receive that forgiveness afresh. And if you're not yet a Christian, if something has stopped you taking that step, this is the moment for you to say, Jesus, forgive me. And we're just going to be silent for a moment.
thing about kneeling at the foot of the cross, of seeing how much you've been forgiven, of of remembering how much it cost God to forgive you, it becomes very difficult to withhold forgiveness from other people. And in this moment, I ask you, who do you need to forgive? Our prayer finishes with the words, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Every week in my job, I I visit hospitals. I visit homes where words like cancer, words like dementia, words like depression are just the reality. You can feel them in the air. They don't even need to be spoken. Every week I have conversations with people about poverty, about difficulties in their marriage, about addiction, about problems with their kids and their family. Somehow, and I think maybe we've propagated this idea in the church a little bit, and we're guilty of it, but somehow we have adopted this this belief, this idea that as Christians, life is going to be easy or going to be easier. That we won't be touched by the same pain and the same struggles as people out there are touched by. But the reality is we are. And the reality is sometimes, no matter how much prayer, how much fasting we do, our prayers are answered with wait, or our prayers are answered with no. N.T. Wright again, to quote him, he says, if we follow a crucified Savior, we shouldn't expect to be spared the darkness for ourselves. Jesus' invitation to anyone who's going to be a Christian is pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus suffered in his life. And as Christians, as we walk on earth, we're not guaranteed a life free from suffering. In fact, we're told we are going to experience hardship and difficulties and struggles in our life. And for each of us, it looks different in different seasons. The Bible never promises us freedom from pain. But it does promise us something even better. That God's presence will be with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. Why? For you are with me. Sometimes God answers our prayers and delivers us from those situations. Sometimes he answers our prayers for healing. Sometimes he answers our prayers for freedom. And sometimes for reasons completely unknown to us, 
He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And he says, I will be with you. Do not be afraid. I will be with you. So what we're going to do as we bring this to a close, we're going to do two things. The first thing we're going to do is spend a little bit of time. There's going to be a slide that comes up on the screen behind me. And we're going to spend a little bit of time praying for people in this world, our brothers and sisters, part of the church, who live in places where it is incredibly difficult to follow Jesus. This is Open Doors map of the 50 50 countries in the world where it's most dangerous to follow Jesus. The five top ones are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, and Pakistan. Let's spend a few moments praying for those who are living under a very real threat of darkness at the minute. And then I want to give you the opportunity. If you are living in a very real experience of difficulty, of struggle, of pain, of darkness in your life at the minute. I want to give you an opportunity to to pray that prayer. Deliver us from the evil one. Um, Pete Gregg, uh, the the guy that is the pioneer of the 24-7 prayer movement that we're embarking on this Holy Week, um, he says... If you are finding life tough, know that it's okay not to be okay. Talk to someone. Don't pretend. Vulnerability is your opportunity to deepen true friendship and elicit divine grace.